As was announced, our scripture reading tonight is from Acts chapter 2, verse 47, where we're told that we're praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Brother Ronnie Hayes had been calling me for several years. He wanted me to speak on the 7B Lectureship Series in Adamsville, Alabama. It's the only lectureship series I know in the kingdom that is completely dedicated to soul winning. They bring in speakers through the week. It's all about soul winning. Brother Ronnie continued to ask. He said, Brother Whitaker, can you come? And we couldn't work our schedules out. Finally, um, during one of the upcoming years, it seemed that it was going to work. And I said, Brother Hayes, I can come. I can speak on the 7B series. He said that, uh, I said, Brother Hayes, what day would you want me to speak? He said, all days. I said, okay. I said, uh, what, what topics do you want me to, to teach? He said, all topics. I said, Brother Hayes, it doesn't sound like a lectureship to me. He said, well, we want you to give us every lesson you've got on evangelism. I said, all right, well, I'll do that. And so I showed up at uh, Adamsville, Alabama. We began the lectureship series and uh, for several days. And I noticed out in the front of the, uh, this large auditorium, there was this man. He was about 6'4". He was well into his 90s. He had a cane. Um, he attended every session. He never missed. And uh, he, um, he, would, he was kind of hunched over. You could tell he was probably in some discomfort. Uh, but he, would, he had very close attention during the entire series when the series came to an end, um, there were several brethren. They were waiting to speak, and um, he waited patiently in the pew. And he finally got up from the pew, and he walked to me. And uh, he held something in his hand. And uh, I was curious because uh, I wanted to know what it was. I noticed that through the entire lectureship series, he, he had it. He had it close by. And uh, as he approached me, I could see this large book. He said, Brother Whitaker, he said, preachers and members of the church had been trying to pry this book out of my hands for years. He says, and I wouldn't give it to him. It's yours. And I said, well, man, I said, this must be something very historic. And I, I put it into my hand. I looked at it and I, I said, I can't wait to see what it, it's an American college dictionary. I thought to myself, I've got 10 dictionaries in my office. What do I need an American? Co-? He said, oh, Brother Whitaker is not any dictionary. He said, this is a 1957 uh, American College Dictionary. And he said, I need you to do something for me. I need you to open it up. And so I, I began to open. He said, I want you to look for the word Christian. So I looked for the word Christian. He says, when you get there, I want you to read the definition. So I quickly opened it up and uh, I found the word Christian. He said, begin reading. And here's what it says. Pertaining to or deriving from Jesus Christ, not earth shattering. And um, I went to the second definition, believing in or belonging to the religion of Jesus Christ. Nothing new there. And I continued reading, uh, exhibiting a spirit or proper following Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, and then I went down as I can. I couldn't believe my eyes. I got to one of the later definitions and it said a Christian by definition, according to the uh, council that came together, the dictionary committee, 1957. This is how they defined it. A Christian is a member of the church of Christ, a Campbellite. I know there might be some in our audience uh, uh, tonight who are unsure about what that term might refer to. Well, let me refresh your memory. You see, in 1957, the church of Christ was growing with such rapid pace 
that literally our denomination of friends didn't know what to do with us. And so in derision, they came up with this term, Campbellite. It was designed to make fun of the Church of Christ. And so they would call us Campbellite. But in 1957, when the Dictionary Committee came together, when they defined the word Christian, brother, we were of such force. We were growing so rapidly, they defined the term Christian by a member of the Church of Christ. Friends, do you realize in the 19th, in the recent past, we literally had teams of Christians who traveled around this country. And do you know what their job was? To build church buildings. You know those old A-frame church buildings you find all over this country? Long auditorium, Bible classes on the left and right. They all look the same. You know why they look like that? Because we literally could not build them fast enough. Brethren, there was a time in this nation where the word Christian was closely associated with the church of Christ. We're living in a time now where there are a lot of people who don't know the difference between a Mennonite and a member of the church of Christ. Brethren, we have lost our distinction In many places, they don't know who we are. We have become so inward focused in some places. We have become so uh, consumed by the affairs of muchness and manyness in our our church buildings that those even in the local uh, area, those in in communities that surround the church of Christ don't even know we're in existence. Friends, I want to return to a time. I pray God that the church of Christ can return to a day where we don't have to go to India to evangelize. We don't have to go to Tanzania to do a mission trip. Brethren, the mission of the gospel starts in our country. Our nation needs the church of Christ to do mission work here. And an elder recently tell me. He said, Rob, he says, in my humble judgment, he said, the most fertile fields in all the world are the fields that have been most neglected. And they're sitting right in our own country. Friends and neighbors, our family and our co-workers, people in Midland, Odessa, all over the United States of America, they need to hear from members of the Church of Christ. And I have news for this church. It doesn't matter how gifted your preacher is, how many preachers you have. It doesn't matter how godly men they are, how, 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 how talented they might be. It is impossible for the preachers of the church of Christ to single-handedly evangelize this nation again. We need help. We are calling on the brethren in the church of Christ, the body of Christ. Brethren, if we would work together as a body, if every church of Christ would engage and members would work, not separately, but as a body, do you realize what would happen tonight? It would be incredible. And what I'm seeing in churches that are adopting a strategic approach to their local area is overwhelming. I can't wait to share it with you. I believe tonight may be the most popular lesson in the series. We're going to talk about how to get into a Bible study. We're going to talk about how to get that family member, that friend, that co-worker to sit down around a kitchen table and do a Bible study. We're going to talk about the manner. And it's all going to come from Jesus. And friends, he was the master evangelist. He taught us three things this morning. We're going to learn four things tonight. If you have your evangelism simplified guidebook, open up to the last page. You're going to write four more things down tonight. And we're going to look at the seven principles as we begin to put these together. She, she walked right up to me as I was preparing for my sermon. Um, it's Sister Brandy Fleming. Sister Brandy Fleming um, is what we might call a bringer. I believe at this time it would be needful for us to just to, just to lay a strategy, a very, a very a broad view of evangelism before the church. What you're looking at tonight is the, um, the, the strategy we've put together for several years, a trial and error for churches of Christ. And what we want to do is create a vision 
for the Lord's church of where we're going. Now, I didn't create this vision just by myself. This is actually a vision that comes right from the book of Acts. And what we want to teach our church members is how they can participate. Because I know the preacher can't do it by himself. There are six things a church has to do to grow. And we're going to begin to the most basic level. A church has to create contacts. And then you've got to prospect the contacts. This is what we call the bringers category. And, and, and a church can all participate in this point. It doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been a Christian. Everybody can do it. In fact, if you don't do it, we're not going to make it. See, this is required. And I would suggest to you tonight... And of all the categories, of all the things we're going to discuss, this is where preachers struggle the most. Do you know why? Because you know people we don't know. For the most part, preachers are surrounded by good and godly people. People that we don't need to have Bible studies with. We're we're surrounded by, by you. But you're surrounded, see, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go out into the, your life, you're surrounded by sinners. You have an advantage that we don't have. You're able to bring people. You're able to contact people. You're, we can prospect people that it's very difficult for a preacher to do. So in this particular session, you've got a leg up on us. You can do things that I, I can't really do very well. I, I, can, I will help. But you, in this auditorium, you are much better than any preacher can ever be. You're bringers. Brandy Fleming's a bringer. Brandy Fleming comes up to me with a piece of paper, and she has on that piece of paper the name Sharon Fisher. And um, Sharon uh, Fisher is a co-worker of Brandy. She says, Rob, she's disgruntled. She's been going through a difficult time. She's been sick, and she's uh, discouraged. I think that we can prospect. I think we can, we can reach uh, Sharon Fisher. Now, Brandy, to my knowledge, has never conducted a Bible study. She may be one of the most evangelistic sisters we've got. She's always bringing people. Now, on page 104 of your Evangelism Simplified Guidebook, there is a tool. It's a tool that we uh, encourage churches to use. In fact, if a church uses this tool, they're going to get success. It is, it is undeniable. If a church will focus on these simple tools, they're going to get results. Here it is. It's called the target list or the contact card list. Or we're, we're, we can refer to it as a, as, as a, as a list of uh, congregational contacts. Brethren, you never get a target you don't aim for. And if a congregation doesn't have a target list, then they're not going to be able to work on sinners. I don't want your individual list. I want the congregational list. This is a printed list. This is a list that's updated every week. This is a list that all of us have eyes on. We're going to put it, we're going to put Sharon Fisher's name on it. You see where it says name, relationship. She's a friend of Brandy Fleming. Description, she's disgruntled, she needs encouragement. Uh, Address, we're going to mark the multiple box. And we're going to now overwhelm Sharon Fisher with more love than she's received her entire life. We're going to bring to bear the power of the church of Christ on one person. We're not going to try to convert her with one person. We're going to try to convert Sharon Fisher with all 300 of us. She's going to go out to her mailbox on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And brethren, she's going to get more love than she has ever received. The congregation is going to sure, going to bomb her with cards. I'm not talking about one card with 20 signatures. I'm not talking about a three or four widows in the church sending cards. I'm talking about every single member of the church of Christ is going to send cards. Brother, we're going to be strategic. I mean, we've got a plan. We've got teams put together. We have cards going out. In fact, we, have, we know how many are going out. We know what day they go out. We know how many she's going to get. She's going to go out to her mailbox on Wednesday and Thursday. Five cards on Wednesday. Seven cards on Thursday, nine cards on Friday. She's overwhelmed. She can't believe what she sees. The whole church is praying for her. 
She, she's got cards laying all over her house. She's got them on her school teacher's desk. She's got them on her kitchen countertop. She goes to Brandy Fleming. She says, Brandy, she said, when you said that church is going to pray for me, she said, I had no idea. She said, every time I go to the mailbox, it's like Christmas. She said, I got all these cards and people are, pr- I don't even know who they are. But they all go to the Willette Church of Christ. She said, now I want to tell you something. They pulled me out of a dark place. She said, I didn't think anybody cared. And she said, when I read these cards, it just, it just makes me smile. She said, I, I can understand that there are actually people out there that love me. She said, Brandy, I've got to thank these people and I don't know how to do it. And Brandy says, I do. He said, you just come to church and thank them. She says, well, I, I can do that. She said, what time you start? It's uh, not nine o'clock Sunday morning. She says, I think I'll be there. When Nicole and I are, are a little bit early on Sunday as normal and we're looking around and I notice this uh, family walks in. I said, uh, Nicole, I think we've got some visitors. We walked up and I said, ma'am, my, sir, my name's Rob Whitaker. My wife, Nicole. He said, my name's Jimmy Fisher. This is my wife, Sharon Fisher. I said, Sharon, you're on our, you're on our card list. We've been, we've been sending cards. Yes, you have. She said, are you the preacher here? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, i tell you what. She said, I've never been so touched in all my life. She says, I've been overwhelmed by the kindness of this church. Preacher, is there any way you can thank this church that I'm, since I'm here? I said, absolutely. I got into the pulpit before we dismissed for Bible class. I said, brethren, I got an announcement to make. This morning, we got sitting in our pews, Jimmy and Sharon Fisher, and uh, they want to thank you for all the cards you've been sending. And uh, brethren, uh, they've been overwhelmed by your prayers and your love. And... Uh, and they just want you to know that. They just smiled. People walked up, you know, and introduced themselves and thanked them for being there. And, uh, and uh, they went through the worship service. I noticed they had a Bible, a songbook, and they're participating. And, and as we uh, concluded the worship service, Nicole and I, as we customarily do, walked up to them and said, um, what did you guys think of the church service today? We enjoyed it. I said, well, we just happen to have this custom. We always take visitors out to eat. Would you guys like to go out to eat our treat? And he said, well, sure, we like to go out to eat. And, and I said, well, there's a little restaurant here in Lafayette. Let's go get a bite to eat. So we drove down to Lafayette, sat in that restaurant. We just had casual conversation. We just talked about life, you know, where you're from and, and where'd you grow up. And it was an enjoyable meal together. Got to know them. Now, I don't expect them to be back Sunday night, and they're not. But that gives me an opportunity to prospect some more. So we're going to carry this on to the next stage. I said, church, I said, in the, in, the, in the contact card prospecting room, I want you to go get your cards. Now we're going to send cards. Thank you for visiting. Invite them back. I want you to overwhelm them with cards. I want them to get more love this week than they got last week. The church did her job. Brethren, by the way, when you do your job, I can do mine. I can't do my job without you. When a church of Christ is not working together, it's like an army going into battle and they scatter and they're bound to lose. Friends, when the church of Christ works as a body, there's not a more powerful soul-saving force in this world. It's incredible what happens when a church bands together and everybody knows their job and everybody knows their role and we're working for one common purpose because we want souls to be saved. She goes out to her mailbox Monday, Tuesday, and she is just overwhelmed. Never in her life has she received so much love. And that night, we're sitting there in our house that evening after dinner, and I got a text on my phone. Brethren, I saved it. This is what it says. Brandy said, Rob, I just received a message from Sharon's husband, Jimmy. He said he and Sharon had received at least four cards a day, thanking them for visiting or wishing Sharon well. He said, Rob, it's just the type of church they've been looking for. One that would take care of Sharon if anything ever happened to him. Now he says he's still praying and tried to get 
God lead him to where he needs to be. I tried to be very encouraging, though. I offered to answer any questions that they might have or even have a Bible study sometime. Now, Rob, I welcomed them back to church at any time. Now, I wasn't expecting him to message me back so quickly with the question. Do you have to be a member of that church to take communion? Now, Rob, I know the answer to that question. But if he's asking this question, he needs to know a whole lot, a whole lot more. Any suggestions? And I immediately wrote back to Brandy. I said, Brandy, don't answer that. I said, don't defer that question. Don't answer. We're this close to the study. I said, carry on conversation. Be friendly. Get them to come back to church. I said, Brandy, we are so close. Brandy did her job. Brandy made sure. And they came back that next Sunday. They walked into the service, sat down, went through the worship service after service. I walked up and I said, Jimmy and Sharon, you enjoyed the service today? Sure did. I said, we just also have this custom. My family likes to have a... a Family's over for dinner at the house. It's kind of hard to visit at a noisy restaurant. I said, why don't you guys come over this week? You got some time? We'll just visit, get to know you. They said, well, that's awful kind. We like that. I said, what, what day's good for you? What about Tuesday, 6 o'clock? Sounds good. And so now the, uh, we're in motion. We have one mission. Brethren, I have one mission. When I meet a sinner, I want a Bible study. I'm singularly focused on it. I'm very intentional. And I looked over at my son. I said, son, go mow the lawn. And I said, clean the room. I said, Jer- uh, Hannah, help mama in the kitchen. I said, men, you know you can run a vacuum cleaner. Whatever it takes to help mama get the house ready, help her. You have one mission. Nothing else you're doing, your hunting stand, your fishing spot, whatever else you're working on, takes a back seat to soul saving. We got our house ready. And uh, they knock on that door that night. And they walked in. And uh, the kids know. They know exactly what's going to happen. We're not going to talk about us. Hey, Jimmy, what do you do for a living? Um, I'm security guard, Robert Bonnell. Aluminum factory down there, Carthage, off I-40. Yep. Tell me some stories about being a security guard, Jimmy. I just want him to drop his shields. See, people have this protective shield. When you meet people at a store, even at a church service, that you can't penetrate it. And I need him to relax. So I'm going to have them talk. I want them to do all the talking. Now, Jimmy's not a big talker. Ten minutes and he's done. Now, Sharon Fisher... That's another story. I looked over at Sharon Fisher and I said, Sharon Fisher, now what do you do for a living? I'm a kindergarten teacher. That's all I needed to say for 45 minutes. I heard about every student in her classroom. I heard about, Rob, there's one little boy. Best meal he gets is at school. Another little boy lives in a truck with his dad. I heard about portfolios. You teachers know what portfolios are? Rob, they're in kindergarten. All I can do is do portfolios. I can't even teach them anymore. She's passionate about her kids. She loves them. It's a great night. We're eating together. You could see the bridge being built. We're not ready for a study just yet, but we're close. And finally, Sharon opens the door. I, it almost happens every time. Rob, can I talk to you just for a minute? Well, sure, Sharon. What's on your heart? Well, now, Rob, we go to church. Well, you do? I, I said, well, I suspected you did. Yeah, we go to the big community church. Oh, the one out there in Westmoreland? That's the one. I said, that's an that's a exciting-looking church out there. Um, Rob, we do mission work for them. You Where you go? Honduras, working their children's home. Rob, every summer, Jimmy and I take you know, time off work and we go help the church. And Rob, you know, since I've been sick, I haven't had one card, one phone call. Rob, uh, I don't think they realize we haven't been there in six weeks. She said, I'm starting to, to question, does anybody care? She said, Rob, here it is. We've given all this time and they don't even reach out to us. Does that seem right to you? I said, no, it doesn't, Sharon. And she said, you know, Rob, I don't even know where my preacher lives. 
She says, you know, I've been here all these years and you are the first person. This is the first time Jimmy and I have ever been invited into anybody's home. And we have enjoyed it. I said, Sharon, we have two. And, you know, we can't let this stop. This can't be a one-time event. Why don't y'all come over next week? And we'll just keep going. And uh, let's just keep uh, talking. They said, we'd like that. And Jimmy looks and says, will she cook any more meals? I said, oh, yes, Jimmy. Lots of meals here. And uh, you come on back, you know. And uh, we'll, we'll eat another meal. And uh, so they come on back the next week. I have one mission. I'm this close. We sit around the living room where they're talking, and I'm going to help Jimmy out a little bit. Jimmy, you're concerned about the direction of our country. He said, I'm really concerned, Rob. I thought, are things getting bad? Tell me what's getting bad. The morals, Rob. I think you're right. The morals. He said, Rob, do you know it's all in the book of Revelation? It is. He said, yes. He said, Rob, it's, it, it's a 666 Armageddon, 1,000-year reign, 144,000. We did that in 30 seconds. And um, I defer. I don't debate. Brethren, I'm not going to start a Bible study out in the book of Revelation. It's the last place you want to be. There's a reason God put it at the end of the Bible. I want a Bible study and I'm not going to chase rabbits. It won't get me anywhere. I said, Jimmy, you're right. I said, the book of Revelation says a lot of stuff. In fact, I think I know what the cure is for this country. He said, what is it? I just so happened to have these little booklets. I said, Jimmy, why don't we sit down right here in this table? Nicole, grab the Bible. John 8, 32. Ye shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. I said, Jimmy, what makes you free? He said, the truth. I said, write it down in the back. Get a, get a pen over there. Write that down in the blank right there. Let's go to the next one. I don't ask for Bible studies. I just do them. Brethren, if you treat people right, you don't have to ask for a study. In fact, in all the years we've been doing studies in my family, I asked my family um, not long ago, I said, can you remember ever a time where we prospected a contact that we didn't get to study? No. Brethren, studies are not as difficult as you think to get, but you've got to put time into it. You've got to put effort into it because if you prospect those contacts, those studies, the problem I've got today is I've got more studies than I've got time. Brethren, they're everywhere. We sat around that table, we did that study, and they just loved it. In fact, at the end of the study, Sharon Fisher says, hey, Rob, she said, I'm a little angry. I said, well, what happened, Sharon? She said, I've been going to church all my life. No one ever explained to me I wasn't under the Old Testament. No one told me I wasn't under the Ten Commandments. She said, how have I sat in the pew all these years and not learned this? I said, I don't know. She said, I have enjoyed this study. I said, well, let's do a second one. Would you like to come back? Jimmy says, would she cook more desserts? I said, yes. Uh, lots of desserts, Jimmy. Come on back. And uh, so they came on back for the second study. And, and we sat around the table, Nicole and I, we grabbed our back to the Bible, blue booklet, talked about the church of Christ. And we're studying about the church. I didn't know you're supposed to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Most people don't. You know why? Because they've never done a Bible study. Most people have never studied the Bible. They don't know. And brethren, that's why Bible studies, that's why Jesus said, go ye therefore and read the Bible. That's not what he said. He said, go ye therefore and teach. You need a method. Sit down and study the word of God. It's amazing what happens. They loved it. They're going to come back for the third study. The problem is they don't know they're lost. I know they're lost. You say, Rob, how would you know they're lost? Because I always ask questions before the study, and I know the answers. And they're not right. They don't know this. 
They go into that third study and everything's going right. You know, finally Sharon starts to notice something's wrong. I could tell the change in her demeanor. You can always tell. I could tell that she started to, to question things. And, and she, was, uh, she was reading those Bible passages. They weren't lining up with what she did. And finally she said, no, Rob. She said, you know, Jimmy and I have never. You know, Preacher, you just wait one minute, Jimmy Fisher said. Are you trying to tell me we're going to hell? I said, Jimmy, I never said that. I said, I wouldn't say that's not my job. Jimmy, can I ask you why you ask that? He said, well, I don't know. I said, Jimmy, is it something you read? I said, because if you've done what this book says, you're going to heaven. But if you're missing something, we can fix it. Jimmy, why don't we just keep studying? And if, uh, and if uh, you tell me, you just tell me what you want to do. So we kept studying. We got to page nine, read booklet. We're in Romans 6, 3 and 4. Jimmy looked at me and said, Rob, there's something Sharon and I need to do. I said, let's go. And they did. And they were baptized that night for the remission of their sins. Jimmy and Sharon Fisher understood the gospel of Christ because of a Bible study. They understood the gospel of Christ because they were able to read and understand the Bible. This book was not written for theologians, although a theologian could learn a lot. This book was written for common folk. Brethren, you can read and understand the Bible. It's a beautiful book. Let me share with you a few other photos. This is, uh, this is Betty McCarter. I talked about her this morning. And on the other side of the table, Sharon Fisher. Guess what they're doing? Bible studies. They're trying to save souls. They're brand new Christians. Guess who's on the other side of the table? That's Richard Pratt, the Methodist from this morning. On the other side of the table, that's Jimmy Fisher. Brethren, they're trying to save souls six months into their, their, their new birth. And they're already trying to put what they've learned to work. Here's what I learned. I'm going to sum it up for you. I learned something in every Bible study. When I was at Will Ed, it was like a laboratory for me. I was just putting all this together, and here it is. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's the crux of it. And this was missing in my evangelism efforts. I, I was kind of a, I was passing people by. I was, I was not paying attention to, to, to their hearts. And I, I was so busy trying to win debates. And I wasn't paying attention to their needs. And, and, and brethren, this is, my wife taught me this. This is something I learned from her because she has a gift that I don't have. Ladies, you have gifts that your husband does not have. And if we don't have you on board, if we're not utilizing your gifts, we're half as effective. You know, the average person doesn't care that you graduated from three schools of preaching. They don't care. You know, the average person does not care that you have two degrees. You know, the average person does not care that you have memorized the Greek language or, or you, have a, uh, um, you have some uh, uh, extra special gift of, of, of various uh, 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 levels of study. They don't care. Not until you care about them. The way we treat visitors should never be the reason they obey the gospel. Listen, I don't want Jimmy Fisher becoming a Christian because he likes my wife's lasagna. But I promise you this, the way we treat visitors could be the reason they never obey the gospel because they walk into our assembly. All we do is say hello. They leave our assembly. We don't know their name. We don't know where they're from. We don't extend invitations to get together. And brethren, God is sending us prospects and we miss them week after week. No plan. There's no congregational plan of how to do. How do you get to them? What do you do when they come? Jesus always had a plan. In fact, in Matthew 10, when he was going to send his disciples out on the limited commission, he said, here's the plan. I want you to be as wise as serpents. I want you to be strategic. I want you to think through what you're about to do. 
I want you to go out there and I don't want you to shoot from the hip. I want you to have an approach. I want you to plan it out. That, that's, that's the strategic plan that's missing in so, so, so many Christians' lives. We have no plan to reach our neighbor. We have no plan to reach our, our co-worker. We're just kind of living day to day and just hoping something's going to break free. Brethren, hope is not a strategy for success. You must have a plan. Number two, I call it the Hippocratic Oath for Christians. Do no harm. Brethren, do no harm. And so when you meet sinners, when you meet visitors, you better be on your, on your toes and understand that your words mean something. Your Facebook posts mean something. Your thoughtless words mean something. And brethren, don't close doors. It's not worth it. Tonight, I want to give you four things that Jesus taught about how to reach the hearts of people. In Acts 2 and 47, if you'll take your Bibles, I, I want to share something with you. I didn't see it for most of my preaching life. I preached it. I, I quoted it. I read it. I had it memorized, but I didn't see it. And it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Brethren, I would preach this verse monthly. Maybe something like this. Any church you can join is not the church of Christ because the church is a church God adds you to. And everybody say amen, and you should. You know, sometimes we're so focused on one teaching we miss another. That was me. Let me do it again. Praising God. That's what the church did in the first century. They praised God. All right, this, is the, this is the chapter of the church. This is the, the beginning of the church. And having favor with all the people. Do you know the first century church was a favorable church? People loved the church. They enjoyed being around the church. The word favor means grace on the heart or part of the giver, kindness, acceptable. So we could say the first century church was a graceful church. It was a kind church. It was a giving church. The first century church was a church people enjoyed being around. It wasn't um, several years ago. David Shannon and I didn't live too far apart, about an hour. And every now and then uh, we get together and... uh, I remember one day I was going to go out and we were going to fly around a little bit and, uh, and we were just talking and uh, we had some weather issues. And I said, David, I said, uh, I said uh, tell me about some of your evangelism strategies because here at Mount Juliet, you guys have, man, you guys have grown. I mean, it's incredible what's going on here. He said, well, Rob, one of the most revealing things we ever did, he says, we decided to send our church members out with a local survey of one question. What was the question? What do you think of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ? What do you think of us? He said, so we went to the surrounding community and said, brethren, you've probably not been to Mount Juliet, Tennessee, but you can't can't miss the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. The steeple's as big as the auditorium. It's huge. It's a massive building. It sits right off the highway. And uh, people are, I mean, by the thousands, tens of thousands, driving back and forward every single day. You can't miss it. I said, well, this is going to be intriguing. David, what happened? We sent him around, Rob. And uh, he said, Rob, uh, we went back behind the church, you know. What do you think about the Mount Juliet Church of Christ? Uh, the Mount Juliet what? A Mount Juliet Church of Christ. Who? Where are you? Uh, that big steeple back there. Oh, that's who you are. You know what we found, Rob? Is that most people in our community didn't even know we were there. What do they think about? What do they think about the West Side Church? 
What do the people in Midland think about this church? Because if they don't know your brethren, build it and they will come only works in the movies. If any church building would have attracted people, it would have been that building. Listen, there were people in eyesight of that building who didn't even know they were there. That word favor has, is used twice in the Bible to describe a person. Now, one of them ought to be obvious to you. What's the Christ? And um, let's look at Acts 4.32 and discuss why the church of Acts was favorable. And the multitude of them that believe were one heart and one soul. Neither said any of the things that they possessed were their own, for they had all things in common. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them, distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. It was a giving church. Everybody knew about it. They weren't like the Pharisees stuck up, you know, Sadducees who could care less about the common folk. The church of Christ cared about their fellow man, and it made news. This is a different group of people here. Look what it says about Jesus. And Jesus increased in wisdom, intellectually, stature, physically, in favor with God, religiously, and man, socially. I missed this for a long time. I didn't understand this. I thought of Jesus as an academic. I thought of Jesus maybe even as being a, a, a man that would prefer to be by himself. That's not Jesus. Friends, tonight I want you to know that your Lord was a social person. He loved to be around people. In fact, he loved to spend time with sinners. He enjoyed talking to sinners. He wanted to, to he came not to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinners to repentance. And my Lord liked to eat with them. My Lord liked to talk to them. Our Lord spent so much time with sinners, they called him one. And I missed it. Brother, I believe you should insulate yourself from sin. Insulate yourself. I mean, you should put insulation between you and sin, protect your family, protect your children, but you can't isolate yourselves from sinners or you can't save souls. We are not an island. The church is about people. Look at the next person this word is used with. His name is Samuel. And the child Samuel grew on. He was in favor, there's your word, both with the Lord religiously and with man socially. They loved him. They loved Samuel so much they wanted to make him a king. Now let's start putting this together. You know what we need today if we're going to be successful? Brother, we've got to develop favor. We've got to take that concept and develop it in our local churches, in our community. Some say, preacher, what you're asking doesn't work today. We don't live back in the nomadic times. Uh, preacher, um, we live in the age of the golden arches. There's no time for this. We live in the age of muchness and manyness and fast food and high-paced society. We just don't have, it doesn't work in the United States of America. Listen carefully. I could not disagree more with you. In fact, I'm going to go to the other side and I'm going to insist that there's probably not been a time in the history of this country where it's been easier to get a Bible study. Because there are people out there, they're craving for something. They don't know what they're missing. And I'm going to prove this to you. I'll do it in five minutes. In Genesis 2 and 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, for I will make for him a help meet. Brethren, we weren't made as loners. When God designed you, when he wired you up, when he created your DNA, when he brought man out of the ground and he brought us out of the ground and breathed into us the breath of life, he made you a social person. People like to be around people. If there's anything COVID proved is that loneliness is a serious issue. People, people struggle when they're alone. They need to be around other people. And, um, and, and so I want to bring to the next slide, look at this. What do you call these things? I know these young people here know this, and some of you adults probably are going to get this. What do you call all this? This is, well, this is Facebook, right? It's uh, YouTube. It's, um, 
It's a, a email. It's a, it's a, it's a, these are social media apps. Social media apps. See, uh, some, some billionaires decided to get together and create an artificial social platform because they know people like to be around people. So we're going to create this network to allow people to be around people virtually. And people love it. I mean, how many of us have Facebook page? We have Instagram pages. We have YouTube uh, links. And oh, how we love to look at the likes. Just put a selfie on there and you'll look all day at how many people liked it. Family photos. And we love it. An action shot of you playing a ball game and you love it. Or maybe a special event that you attend and you're like, how many people are going to comment on it? Brethren, we're moved by this stuff. Now, let's take this to another level. I don't care how sophisticated this stuff gets. I don't care how so-called virtually real we become. This will never replace a warm-blooded human being ever. People need people. Here's what we learned. We're sitting in our living room, and Jimmy and Sharon open up. It's amazing how quickly they did this. Here's this term number one right here. Write this down. House to house. Write it down. This is your first principle tonight. This is, a, this is what I learned. When you put somebody in your home, they open up. They talk about things they'd never talk about in the church service. They wouldn't talk about the, they're not going to talk about it at the Cracker Barrel. But you put them in your house, and all of a sudden, they're talking about issues and problems and struggles with them and their family and their children. I was overwhelmed. I barely know them. And there is nothing, literally nothing off the table. Everything's on the table. And they're throwing things out. We're struggling with this, Rob. And you know why? Because, brethren, there are some things you don't put on Facebook. There are some things you don't tweet about. At least you shouldn't. There are some things, brethren, you need another warm-blooded human being to talk to. And here's what's a fact. Most people don't have it. They have a thousand virtual friends. They have very few real friends. They have very few real people they can actually sit down with, not in the break room at work, not, at, not in a fellowship hall at church. I'm talking about in your home. Your home has power. And God knew it. Look what God said about your house. In Acts 5 and 42, and daily in the temple, in every house, they cease not to preach and teach Jesus. Where did they teach and preach Jesus? In people's homes. I want you to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46. And daily, and they continue daily with one accord and in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Look at Acts 20 and 20. How I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and I have taught you publicly. And from house to house, brethren, open your homes. Get sinners in the home. You don't need to convert. Mike Vestal. And I know Mike loves to come into your home, preacher. We love to get in the homes. We, I saw your sign. I, I understand you got a sign outside your office. We love to eat. Preachers enjoy it. But brothers and sisters, you got to get the sinners in your house because those sinners need to be brought to Christ. And that's the best place to do it. You don't have Bible studies at Cracker Barrel. You're too busy with the biscuits and the gravy. you got to get them in your home because in your home, people relax. In your home, they're on your territory. I know exactly where I'm going to take them. When Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, in, in Luke chapter 19, he found a tax, a, a tax collector, a Zacchaeus, and he, he looks at him and he says, Zacchaeus, get down from there because we're going to your house. Why did he want his home? Talk about the football game? I doubt it. Because it's in your home that you talk about spiritual things. It's in your home that you talk about life. Brethren, open up your house. Number two, write this down. Here's your four principles tonight. You've got to use hospitality. 
You have got to overwhelm people with love and with kindness. And I'm not talking about the brethren. I'm talking about the sinners. You have got to overwhelm them. You've got to show them why they would want to be a Christian. In Hebrews 13 and 1, let brotherly love continue. Yes, take Adam out to eat. Take him to Outback. I'm sure he enjoys the steak. Everyone likes steak. Take the sinner for a steak. The next time someone comes to this church and they're not a member, say, would you like to go to a steak, my treat? No one turns down a steak. Everybody, everybody in Texas wants to, let's go, brethren, let's go to Rosie's. Everybody loves good Mexican food. I mean, get them out there and spend some time with them. You're not going to convert them in the pew. It just doesn't happen. Mike, maybe your experience is different than mine. I preached uh, full-time for 22 years, and I can, I can almost count on a couple hands how many total strangers walked into the church building, heard my sermon, and came forward and were baptized. And um, brethren, you know, most of the baptisms that occurred, do you know why they occurred? Because we sat down, we had a meal with them, we overwhelmed them with kindness, and we did a Bible study. Without that, you're flying blind. Brethren, it's a strategy that comes right from God's Word. Every Christian needs to be displaying hospitality. Everyone can do this. Everyone can have conversation. Everyone can be kind to others. You can go the extra mile for sinners. Yes, it's important. Do you know in order to become an elder, you have to be proven in hospitality? And yet, well, I grew up in the church and I can remember hearing sermon after sermon on the qualifications for elders. And we would talk about children, how many children are children, and how many children have to be faithful. All children, some children, what happens if one falls away? How about they all fall away? And uh, I mean, we would sit there and we would talk about that for weeks. You know what I never heard a sermon on? Is that man hospitable? Does that mean, because that's a qualification. You've got to be hospitable to be an elder. And, and so we know that it's important. Let's do a quick lesson on hospitality. Take your Bible to Luke chapter 10. I, I want to share something with you. Go to Luke 10. I don't think there's anything in your Bible arbitrarily. I think it's here for a reason. I think there's a reason Jesus put this in here. Now it came to pass as they went on their way, he entered into a certain village. And there was a certain woman named Martha received him into her house To God be the glory. Brethren, at least she understood that Jesus needed to be in her house. I mean, I I thank God for this woman. Because you know there are members of the Church of Christ this morning, and the the last person they'd want in their house is the Lord. You know why? Because they're afraid of what they might find. How many times have you gone into a house, Adam? And a preacher, you want something to drink? Help yourself in the refrigerator. And they forgot what they put in there. Uh Uh-oh. They don't want you in their home because they're hiding it. Or, or what do you have under your computer screen? What do you have in your hard drive? What do you got in your closet? You don't want the Lord in your home. She had nothing to hide. She said, Jesus, get in my house. You're always welcome into my house. And so here she comes. She brings the Lord right inside her house. Verse 39. Now, she has a sister. Let's introduce her. Her sister is called Mary, which sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Jesus, tell me more about the kingdom. Jesus, tell me, is it coming soon? Jesus, will there be any signs of its coming? Jesus, I want to know more about being, are you the king of the kingdom, Jesus? And and, and so then there's Martha, and she's watching, and she, Jesus is in my house. 
The Lord is in my house and my house isn't prepared. I got dust bunnies in the corner. My floors are not swept and mopped. She said, my, 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 my walls don't look good. I don't have proper furniture. Uh, my, my dishes have spots in them. I'm not a very good cook. And uh, I've got to cook something. I don't even know what to prepare. Jesus probably has a peanut allergy. I'm going to kill him. I mean, she's a mess. And in fact, the Bible says in Luke chapter 10, look at it. And Martha was cumbered. She was distracted about much serving. And, and so she said, oh, I need some help. Lord, my sister's out there. Would you bring her in here to put first things first? I mean, Lord, we got some things to take care of. What are you doing out there, Mary? I want you to listen to what the Lord said. Jesus answered and said, he said, oh, Martha, Martha, thou art, thou art troubled about a great many things. There are certain times in my Bible that uh, there's just a, a glaring stop sign. This is one of them. Take your pen and do this. Circle the word many. Circle it. I promise you don't want to miss this. You circle this word. Circle the word many because I want you to notice what the Lord's about to do. In verse 42, notice what Jesus said. But one thing. Circle the word one. But one thing. There's only one thing that matters. And your sister Mary has chosen the good part and it will not be taken away from her. Brethren, hospitality has a whole much lot more to do with Christian service than it does house cleaning. Ladies, can I speak to your hearts this, this evening? Your husband will not invite a sinner into your home until you give him the green light. If you tell him no one's coming into your home, no one's coming in. If my wife does not allow me to bring sinners into our home, you can take half our Bible studies away. They don't happen. She has a gift. She, she, she has a God-given role, and I can't, I can't bypass it. The only way that I can fulfill that, that, that my obligation is we have to work as a team. And Nicole knows when she's willing to, to make that sacrifice, when we get off the road and we're exhausted, but we know right now, I've got a study right now going on. And, and brother, we understand the value of opening our homes and getting them in the home because if they will get in our home, we know what's going to happen. It happens every time. There are four things that Jesus commonly did when he met sinners. He always identified them. He was looking for them. Who are you looking for? When you walk into this assembly, who are you looking for? Grandpa? Dad? Brethren, you ought to be looking for sinners. It ought to be the first thing you look for. He invested time. He sat with them. He talked with them. He interacted with them. He had discussions with them. And he always invited them to know the Father. Let me give you the third point tonight. The third point, I want you to write this down. It's hearken. I want you to listen. You've got to be a good listener. When I was growing up, I had the privilege of growing up with some very fine Christian men. And uh, I learned something. And uh, they taught me things. And uh, one of the men that I grew up with was Carl Garner. Brother Carl Garner was an instructor at the Southwest School of Bible Studies. He taught us the book of James. And uh, he was an old football coach from Fort Worth. And he said, guys, I don't know a lot of Greek. Knew more than we thought. He said, but if I was teaching this book, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I'd say God gave you two ears and one mouth, and you should listen twice as much as you're to speak. You want to do a Bible study? Listen to people. Don't interrupt them. Just listen. Let them talk. I'm sitting in the living room, and Jimmy Fisher says, now, Rob, it's all in the book of Revelation. I'm listening. Brethren, I want him to talk. 
Tell, I want to know everything he knows about the book of Revelation. He's going to give me a key and insight so I can get into that study. So I don't want to interrupt him. I'm not going to say, oh, boy, here it goes. You know, I'm not listening. No, I'm listening intensely. Listen to sinners. They're going to give you a key into the Bible study. They're going to let you unlock the door. So, so, so you want, let them do the talking. Ask open-ended questions. Just listen to them. You're going to learn about them. It's an exciting part of the, of the relationship. It's not about you. It's about them. I want to know about his life. I want to know about him religiously. I want to know where he, where he is, about the, his understanding of the Bible. And the only way to do that is to listen. There's a story told about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And uh, he, he was a sneaky president. Um, by that I mean he liked to play practical jokes on people. And um, he went to his chief of staff one day. He said, hey, Bill, you know, these uh, receiving lines we do, they're worthless. No one listens. Just cancel the one for tonight. Mr. President, cancel it? You, you, got, you got 100 people here from all over the country to see you, Mr. President. Well, you can't cancel the receiving line. Bill, no one listens. It's a waste of time. It's just a formality, Bill. Mr. President, you must do the receiving line. Bill, I don't want to do it. I, I, it hurts. I, I, I don't want to stand up. And Mr. President, we've got to bring him in. You've got to do it. He said, all right, Bill, send him in. He decided to do a secret experiment. Here's what he did. They started coming in to the, uh, the White House. And uh, he said, sir, sir, come here. Come here. He said, come here. I killed my grandmother last night. Marvelous, Mr. President. Oh, it's a wonderful to be here in this White House. The pillars are beautiful. Oh, Mr. President, give Eleanor our regards. It's so good to be here, Mr. President. In your presence, no one listens. Uh, sir, sir, come here, Mr. Ambassador. Yes, yes, sir. Um, I killed my grandmother last night. Oh, God bless you, Mr. President. It's so You're doing so good in the war effort, sir. Everything is going so well, Mr. President. It's an honor to be in your presence. Uh, the cooks did such a good job tonight, Mr. President. No one listens. And finally, there was one left. He was a little ambassador from the country of Bolivia. He said, sir, sir, come here. He said, I killed my grandmother last night. Ooh. Mr. President, I'm sure she had it coming to her. He was the only one that listened. I would challenge you, brethren. You want to have a Bible study? Listen to people. Don't interrupt them. Let them talk. The more talking they do, the better. Last point. Hesitate. While they're talking, hesitate. That's it. Don't interrupt them. That's right. Let them talk. But what happens if they say something unscriptural? Let them say it. Brethren, do not engage them. Hesitate. So I'm sitting in the living room, and Sharon Fisher says, Now, Rob... She says, now, way back in Louisiana, in my first marriage, in my first marriage, my heart sunk to my foot. Nicole looked at me, and I said, like, oh, no. And, uh, and there could be a marriage issue. I don't know. But I, I, I practiced. See, I had these seven principles I'd learned. I practiced. I said, hesitate. Don't, don't talk, Rob. Hearken. Listen. Don't, don't interrupt. And I, I don't need, now's not the time to engage her about marriage. Now's not the time to bring up adultery. Now's not the time to bring up, you know, remarriage. Rob, just listen, hesitate. Jesus was the master at it. You know, some of the greatest lessons our Lord taught were when he listened and didn't respond. Don't respond. See, defer, don't debate is about questions. This is about listening. Just, just let them talk. Don't interrupt them. You say, Rob, but what if they bring up something that's wrong? Let them bring it up. In John 8 and verse 6, Jesus stooped down on the ground and wrote as though he heard them not. Some of the greatest lessons Jesus taught was when he didn't teach, he didn't talk. There are lessons when we don't talk. 
Let me give you a real example. Uh, President Lincoln, uh, he saw the writing on the wall. And uh, the polls had come out that summer. And he's down in all of them. He's going to lose the election. And he knows it. And, um, and uh, so he calls the generals in. He says, come on, come on, generals. He calls them back. And he says, listen, generals. He says, we're about to lose this war. What? Mr. President? We just, got, we just got him in Gettysburg. We got Lee on the run. Mr. President, down south, we, we, got, we, got, the, we got the ports uh, sealed up. We're coming up the Mississippi River. Mr. President, we're winning this war. You guys don't get it. I lose the election, you lose your war. Next president, they have terms of peace. This country will be forever divided. We have to win the war. We got to win it right now. I want to know how you can win the war now. No one talked. It was dead silence in the office, and finally one general raised his hand. Uh, Mr. President, um, I know how we can win the war now. You won't like it. General Sherman, do your job. And he was good at it. He took that northern army, and he began his march. He got to the city of Chattanooga, and the southern boys knew they didn't have a prayer. And so they, 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 they went up into um, Chickamauga, and they, they made their stand, and, and they watched him as he destroyed the city. Nothing was left. He saw them up at Chickamauga. He, he made his advance. He went up to the, but the southern boys had dug in. You see, they had their cavalry, their infantry, and they had everything lined up. And they couldn't penetrate heavy losses. The captains came down and said, General Sherman, General Sherman... He said, we're taking heavy losses. What do we do? And he looked up there and he said, we don't need Chickamauga. Let's go around him. He has one objective. He'll get there. He, begins, he continues his march and he's coming down there. And, and the southern boys knew they got to regroup. And so they, they, they drew down to, to Mount Kennesaw, just outside of Atlanta. And they drew their forces. They dug in infantry, cavalry, and everything's just ready. Here comes Sherman. Sherman hits the line. Heavy losses can't penetrate. He looked up there at Kennesaw and said, I don't need Kennesaw. But I'll take Atlanta. And he burned it to the ground. Brethren, pick your battles wisely. You don't have to engage. Every time someone brings up something false, just let it go. You see, you can lose some battles. You don't have to engage in every battle. Brethren, your battle's at the cross. Your job is to get them to the foot of the cross. When I get a sinner to the foot of the cross, I know what's going to happen nine out of ten times. I am not going to fight my battle out here about the 144,000. I'm hesitating. I'm, I'm, I'm holding myself back. Brethren, I, I'm like a horse and those reins are pulling tight. And brethren, because I want to go, I want to charge. I'm perfectly ready. I have been bred to do it. I can't. Because if I engage, I lose. That's not the battle I want to fight. I'll pick when I fight. I'll pick the battlefield. I'll decide when I bring my sword out. And be careful because when you bring your sword out and you march up that hill, you just might fall on it. So pick your battles wisely. There are four things I taught you tonight. Did you write them down in your book? You need to know these. There's seven of them. I gave you three this morning. Use your house. Open it up. Extend hospitality. Be kind. I mean, overly kind. Go the extra mile. I want you to hearken and listen to people. I want you to tune in to what they're saying because they're giving you tips. And then lastly, I want you to hesitate. I don't want you to enter battle until you're ready. Pick the right battles. As we close our lesson tonight, I need to share something with you. 
I want you to write this down in your book. Please write this down. There was an older preacher in, uh, near Huntsville, Alabama, and I was doing a seminar, and he had well into his 90s. He came up to me and said, Hedda Cain came up to me and said, uh, Preacher, he said, I used to do what you did way back in the 50s. He said, I went all over training churches how to evangelize, and uh, I didn't think anybody did this anymore. He said, um, and there's something I used to tell people. And I said, what would you tell them? And uh, he said, you have to earn the right to have a Bible study. And he nailed it. Brethren, I'm not here to reinvent the wheel. I'm here to take what those men did that worked and teach the church of Christ again how to do it. Brethren, you earn the right to do a study. And you'll take time. And that sinner knows that you take time out of your life. You'll get the study. But people are not fast food windows. It doesn't work. You've got to cultivate the field before you sow your crop. Brandy Fleming walked down the aisle. She had a piece of paper in her hand. And I read it. Dustin McKinney. Brandy? No. Not, not Dustin, Brandy. Rob, it's true. Rob, it might be terminal. It's really bad, Rob. He's the basketball coach for Red Bowling Springs. Everybody knows Dustin McKinney. I know Dustin McKinney because I coach basketball for Cookville, high school in Cookville. And I got to play Dustin McKinney once a year, preseason. It's not good. I don't want to play Dustin McKinney. You know why? Because they breed basketball players in Red Bowling Springs, and it's hard to beat him. And, and, uh, so, but during the year, we're friends. So he'll say, hey, Rob, um, do you got any game film on Livingston? Sure. Got any game film on Gallatin? Sure. We'll swap films. We're not in the same conference. Don't matter. And that's all I know about Dustin. We put Dustin on our compassion card list, our congregational list. And we begin sending the cards. We begin praying. I got to Jared. I said, Jared, we got to go visit Dustin. So we got in my truck. I think I know where he lives. Got over to his house, knocked on the door. He opens it up. Rob, what are you doing here? I heard the news, Dustin. I heard about your cancer. Oh, Rob, it's bad. I said, Dustin, I'm so sorry. Um, I don't really know what to do, but I, there's one thing I, I can't, I'd like to do for you. He said, what do you want to do? I want to pray. Would you let me pray for you? He said, Rob, you can come back and pray anytime. Don't worry, I will. I have one mission. We bowed our heads and we prayed. And he said, thank you, Rob. That meant a lot to me. I said, I'll be back. He says, I, I, and I'll be back. And so we went a few more days, maybe another week. I, I was at the nursing home ministry. One of my elders, Steve Draper. I said, Steve, I said, I want to go introduce you to Dustin McKinney. He said, Rob, I don't know Dustin McKinney. I said, well, we're about to. I said, let's get over there and meet Dustin. I want to introduce you to him. So we ran over to, to his house, knocked on the door. He goes, hey, Rob, how you doing, Rob? Come on in. Now I'm in the house. I have one mission. I'll get there. It take me some time, but I have one mission. I walk in there. Who's, who's with you today? My, one of my elders, Steve. Well, come on in there, Steve. Come on in there. We sit down, and then his little boy, Neyland, Neyland Stadium, UT, Tennessee, he runs through the house, wham, slams down the basketball. He loves Tennessee basketball, Rob. And we're watching the Tennessee football game on the, on the television. And uh, I said, go Tennessee, you know. And uh, uh, brethren, I don't care what team it is. I have one mission. I just want to study. And there's, uh, there's Natalie out there in the kitchen. And uh, she's making cookies or something. And she, she, she works at the bank. Hey, Rob. Hey, Natalie. How you doing? And uh, hey, uh, Dustin. Dustin, where are these cards come from? Where did you get all these cards? Oh, that's your church, Rob. Hey, man, I've never got so many cards in my life. He said, I read them. I mean, there's 60, 70 cards here. I mean, I'm getting cards every day, boatloads of cards. 
He helps me get through the day. I said, I bet they do. Hey, can we pray? He said, yeah, I need prayer, Rob. I said, let's pray. And I'm, I'm going out the house. I said, Dustin, I noticed your lawn there is getting up, you know? He said, yeah, doctor says I can't get out in the sun. Hey, we'll let Church of Christ will mow your lawn until you're better. Steve looked over and said, we will. Better to ask elders for forgiveness and permission. It, it works well. And, uh, and so he said, yes. How many men here in the auditorium would go mow a lawn if it helped us get a Bible study? Anybody? I bet you all would. You engage the church. You got to work together, brethren. When you work together, there's not a better, more potent soul-winning group in the world than the church of Christ. It's amazing what happens. So we, we're out there, we're mowing lawns, you know, and doing things. And, and the elders one Sunday said, Rob, we need to see you. And so I walked into the office, said, what's going on, gentlemen? And they said, uh, we want you to go see Dustin with this message. Uh, Dustin, we'll pay your highest medical bill. Uh, you didn't ask for this. Just don't tell anybody. I said, all right. So I went back over to the house, grabbed one of my family members. We walked into the house, sat down, and Dustin, I don't know how to say this, but the elders of Will Ed want to pay your highest medical bill. Rob, we don't have any medical bills. I work for the school. Natalie works for the bank, and, uh, and um, that's awfully nice. And Natalie says, hey, Rob, we finally found a surgeon that will do the surgery at Vanderbilt Hospital. I said, great. Rob, would you pray for it? And I said, yes. I said, what day is it? I'll be there. No, Rob, that's too far to go. And I said, Natalie, I'll be there. And uh, the day of the surgery, we got up and I said, Nicole, I'll be texting you all day. Send the emails to the church, update everybody. We're all praying for Dustin. And I got to the hospital that morning and it was Natalie, Natalie's mom, Dustin, Dustin's mom. We prayed, they took him back and we waited. Been there before. It's a tough day. And uh, we're waiting. We're the last ones. And finally the surgeon comes out. Kenny family, and they walk in. Um, Miss McKinney, I told you that I didn't know if we could do this. We got in there, and it was, it was bad, Miss McKinney, just like we thought. Miss McKinney, we got, in, we got margins all the way around it. Miss McKinney, we think he's going to be okay. She just cried. I held her. Tears filled the doctor's eyes. I said, doctor, can I, can I pray about this? He said, son, you better. And... Uh, I said, Natalie, i got to go home to my family. She said, Rob, she said, I never expect. I said, I just have one favor to ask. What do you want, Rob? I said, when Dustin's better, when he gets home, and he will be. i got something I need to talk to you guys about. She said, Rob, you'll be the first to know. I went back to my house. We're praying. Church is sending their card. We're sending flowers, sending food. And, uh, and she called me. She said, Rob, she says, Dustin and I are ready. I walked over to the house. They said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, well, Dustin and Natalie, I'll just be honest. I... I want to talk to you about the Lord. And Dustin said, Rob, I'd like to know more about the Lord. I just so happen to have these little booklets. I always have the booklets. Because I have one mission. Do you know what happens when you do a Bible study? Nine out of ten times, they're going to be baptized. Now, may I ask you tonight, why can't you do this? Why aren't we doing this as a church? Because you can the church can do this very thing. Brethren, you are a potent army. You have talented people here. And when we work together with one heart and one soul and one mission, there is nothing the church of Christ can accomplish. Yes, we can evangelize America. No, this nation isn't beyond saving. And yes, our nation's in bad shape, but we serve a winning God. We serve a God of triumph. 
We serve a God, an offensive God. We serve a God who is sending his army on the offense, and it's time we get out of the pews and get busy saving souls. I think we need to put personal back into personal Bible studies. If you're not a child of God tonight, please consider that your Lord loves you and he wants you to go to heaven. And everyone in this room wants the same thing. Would you come? Would you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Repenting of your sins after that confession? Would you go into that watery grave of baptism? Would you go down and and be buried with your Lord just like he was? Just, Just be buried. Would you rise to walk in newness of life for the remission of your sins? Become a member of the Lord's church, a soldier in the army of Christ. We'll help you tonight. There's not a greater purpose in life. Brethren, if you're missing out on this, you're missing all life. Nothing else really matters. Because at the end, all your blue ribbons mean nothing. And all your trophies have no place in the judgment. If you're a child of God and you've fallen short of where you need to be, that's what these elders are here for. They're, they'll pray for you. We'll pray together as a family. Let's do all we can to go to heaven. We can help you tonight. Will you come as together we stand and as we